So the life of God, part 15. Y'all believe him with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for showing up here today. I thank you for giving me utterance. Father, give each individual here a spirit of wisdom and real revealed knowledge of you and your word. Father, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Give each person exactly what they need to make course corrections in life so that we could uh, just uh, adjust ourselves to enjoy all the riches, honor, and life that Jesus paid for us to have. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go to the first one for me. Okay, First John 5 and verse 11. This has been our jumping off scripture. You all should have it memorized by now. 15 weeks, right? And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And it's hath given past tense. It's already ours. Okay, go to the next one. We saw this in the uh, Greek language, in the Greek New Testament. There's three different words for life. Bios, which is natural life. Suke, right, which is our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And then zoe, the life of God, which is eternal, perpetual, instantly and constantly renewed. So be aware that if you see life in your English Bible, in the New Testament, it could be one of these three words, and you probably should look on either esword.net or in your Strong's Concordance and find out which one it is if you're confused. Go to the next one. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10 says this, Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life, the zoe, also of Jesus, might be made manifest in our body. So, here we see two things in this verse that the key to getting the life of Jesus is that he died, so there's nothing that we have to do, right, to get it. It's a gift, right? And then the next thing is, is that it might, the life that Jesus had, might be made manifest or show up laid naked in my body right now. Not when I get to heaven when I don't have my body, but right now I do have my body. I want the life of Jesus to show up, but I know if it might, it also might not. So we're trying to move ourselves from the might-not category to the might. Go to the next one. Now, we're working on this uh, list of nine things out of Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 2. It says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So if you want favor and the gift of God, that's the word grace. It means gift or favor. And you want peace. He said that it comes multiplied to you through the knowledge, have an intimate knowledge of God's character and Jesus. So we've got to get to know him. Go to the next one. Verse 3 says, according to his divine power, or the Godhead's power, that's all the power of the Father, all the power of the Son, all the power of the Holy Ghost, he has given to us, past tense again, how many things? All things that pertain to life, zoe, that's the life of God, the life of Jesus, and godliness being just like him. And how does that come? Through the knowledge of him. That has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Aren't they exceeding great? Sometimes they're so big you can't get your head around them. Right? And he says, by these you might be partakers of the divine nature or equal partners of the Godhead, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, besides these great and precious promises, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity or love, agape. For if these nine things be in you, and they abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Now remember, knowledge was the thing that we got grace and peace. Knowledge was the thing that uh, that, uh, unlocked all the things that God has given us pertaining to life and godliness. And he says, if you do these nine things, your knowledge will produce fruit for you. But he that lacks these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged of old sins. Look, if you get off these nine things, it'll be really quick 
that hell will start reminding you, or a relative, will start reminding you of all your old sins. Amen. Or some, somebody who was your friend that isn't now, and if they say that they're your friend and they're reminding you of old sins, dump them. Okay? Uh, because you don't need anybody reminding you, because you've already been purged from your old sins, and you'll forget that you're an equal partner with the Godhead really, really fast. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, because if you do these nine things, you shall never fall. And it says that you're not going to fail nor stumble in the Greek. So that's pretty good, right? So you get these nine things down, you won't even stub your toe. Go to the next thing. And so it says this in verse 11, that for thus, through these nine things, shall be richly supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These nine things are the entrance or the gateway to get inside the kingdom where Jesus is dominating and has authority. And how many know there isn't any problems in there? Inside the kingdom that Jesus is ruling, there's no problems. No, so I want to get in there. All right, there's no IRS in there either. Amen. All right. Glory. Amen. So verse 12 says this, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these nine things. For you know them, and even you're established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it is me to write that as long as I'm in this tabernacle or body to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Now, last week we talked about this and we'll hit it again, that knowledge deals with whether you stir yourself up. And I told you I'm not going to stir you up. If you see in that last verse, my job is to, my, to how I stir you up is putting you in remembrance. I don't stir you up to do the work. I'll stir you up and put you in remembrance. But whether you stir yourself up to do the work, that's on you, not on my end. So I'm doing my part by putting us in remembrance. And if you get sick of hearing it, well, you know, I'm just doing what the Bible said. He said, as long as I'm in this body, we should put ourselves in remembrance. Because, you know, if you get these nine things down, I mean, you know, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, real good. You know, and, and while I'm reminding you, I'm reminding me. Right? I had, oh, does Andrew do all the nine things? No, that's why I'm teaching on it. All right, so look, here's the, the first thing in the list is to give all diligence. Remember, we saw that diligence was this. Go to the next one, Emily. That it means attentive and persistent in doing a thing, steadily applied force, it's active, unremitting, untiring, constancy of effort, speed and earnestness, and meticulous. And we saw that the opposite was lazy, careless, lethargic, indifferent, and apathetic. And we saw that Jesus equated faithfulness with diligence. He said they're pretty much the same thing. Go to the next one. And we saw in Luke 16 and verse 10, Jesus said that he that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful or diligent also in much, and he that is unjust in the least will be unjust in the much. Now, I just want to put us in remembrance because there's a tendency for us to always be diligent in everything. We think we've got to be faithful in everything or else we won't get much. Isn't that kind of how it's been taught? Right. Well, that's not true. That's why he said the next thing is if you're unjust in least, what it is is you've got to be able to justify what you're faithful in. If it's you and Jesus in a room eating Snickers, right, and having a coffee, and he says, what about this? Could you justify that you're being faithful in this area of your life? If not, do you want to bump that one down on your priority list a little because how many of you, you only have so many hours in the day? I like that we got an extra hour of sleep last night, and I wish we did that every weekend, right? Wouldn't it be great if you had an extra hour of sleep every weekend? How long would that be before we backed the clock up and it went all the way back around again? I don't know. But, but that would be pretty cool. But we don't have that. I mean, that's not going to happen. So we've got to prioritize what we're going to be faithful and diligent in. Because you can't be faithful and diligent in everything. So, listen, if you're feeling guilty that you're not faithful in something, look on your priority list. Do I, you know, do I have to be faithful in that? If it's not justifiable that you're faithful in it, then don't be feeling guilty that you didn't show up to that thing. You following this? Because everybody wants you to be faithful to their agenda. 
Don't they? Your employer wants you to be faithful to his agenda. Right? Your, your relatives want you to be faithful to their agenda. You ever get feelings hurt because you didn't go to two places on Christmas Day? You know, you know what I'm Right? Don't feel guilty about that. You can't be in two places at once. You can't. So prioritize which thing you're going to be diligent and faithful at. And then forget the rest. Don't feel guilty about it. Uh, does that help you any? That helps me because you know what? People try to make you feel guilty for not being faithful to their agenda. Well, if I'm faithful to God's, I don't give a rip about yours. I, I love you, but I got a thing. Right? All right, go to the next one. We saw that the next thing that we need to add to diligence is faith. And we saw that faith is this, that it's absolute certainty in the trustworthiness of another. And I said it should be God, right? Because we don't really, including myself, all the time always trust God because you never know what God's going to do. And don't act like, you, even if you didn't say it, you thought it sometimes, didn't you? I'm not sure if he's going to show up this time. Isn't that the struggle? That's the fight of faith. The Bible says fight the fight, the good fight of faith. Well, it's a good fight because you win. So when those thoughts come, you've got to go, no, I trust God. So the more that you have an intimate knowledge of his character, the easier it is to trust that he's going to show up. The more victories you get under your belt, the easier it is to point back and go, no, he showed up then, he showed up now, he showed up. You know, now that I'm like 40, I can look back up through my life from the time that I was joined the Marine Corps when I was 18 and where he never drop-kicked me and left me hanging. And he didn't destroy me for like 22 years now. So if he didn't then, why would all of a sudden I think tomorrow that he's going to? Well, that's stupid. I got 20 years of marriage with my wife. I don't think she's going to drop kick me tomorrow. She's seen all my stupid stuff that I could possibly do and some that I didn't think I could possibly do. She's seen it. And she didn't drop kick me. So I wouldn't think tomorrow when I wake up, she's ditching me. Yeah, right? It's because I have intimate knowledge of her character. The opposite of that is disbelief, distrust, doubt, misgiving, skepticism, suspicion, right, uncertainty, to be unsure, lacking in confidence. It really means you're just afraid that... That God's word isn't true is really what it is. It comes down to we're not confident, we're not sure, because, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. That's not in the Bible. I keep saying it week after week, because there's stuff in here, these exceeding great and precious promises, you'll look at them and go, no, nah, that can't be right. That, nah. Uh, you know, I know it's inspired, but maybe he was on mushrooms instead of Holy Ghost when he wrote that. Because there's no way that I could lend to many nations. Right? You ever think that? I do when I look at that stuff. I'm like, because if you don't believe that what God said is true, I mean, you just got to take him out of, you got to force gump it, because if you don't, you'll start thinking, no, nah, that couldn't happen. And then where are we at? We're at the lacking in confidence. Well, where does that put me? Go to the next one. Hebrews 11.6, it says, but without faith, without that confidence in God, it's impossible to please him. Oh, now notice it didn't say that without cussing, drinking, smoking, or chewing, or going out with those that do, it's impossible to please him. You know that list where your mother said, would God be pleased with your behavior right now? Your mom ever say that to you? Well, if you believe in Him, then yes. He doesn't really care about your behavior. He cares about do you trust Him? Do you believe Him? Do you have confidence in Him? Because if He didn't, if He cared about behavior checklists, He'd never got anything done on the planet ever. You all understand that? He don't worry about it. He said, "Do you have confidence in me? Do you do you believe that what I said is true?" That flips his happy switch. For he says, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him or crave him. Now, most people in the body of Christ, they believe that he is and they believe that they got to diligently seek him and all that big burden that that goes up under, right? That's a big giant burden. And it hasn't been presented. Right, but then we left off the part about the rewarder. Gives cash for free. And if you see what the Greek says, that you just crave him. 
how much work is it to crave an Oreo with white chocolate on the top? Is that work? No, no, you can do that any time of day or night, right? So you crave God like that. He says, I'm a rewarder. Go to the next one. We saw this in Psalm 31, 23. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful. The next level up, saints, people are born again is the first level. He says, love the Lord. How many know because a lot of people who are born again don't necessarily love the Lord? Well, let's just look. Remember uh, that uh, being born spiritually is just like being born physically. How many know babies don't have the capacity to love their mama and daddy when they're born? Do they? They don't. Then Nikki's crying. They don't. They don't have the capacity. They have not. They have the capacity to breathe, eat, and poop and sleep. R- right. So if somebody's born again and they're a baby, they never get out of that baby stage. They wouldn't love their father, God. They don't have the capacity to. They haven't developed enough where they could express that love. Y'all found this? This is true. I'm not telling you anything that's not true. This is the Lord preserves the faithful. So if you want protection, covenant protection, you want God to preserve you, then you've got to be faithful or diligent. Because I mean, you can be born again and not be faithful or diligent. And then don't wonder why that covenant protection didn't work. And then it says he plentifully rewards the who? The proud doer. This is, a very, this is like a very exclusive club in the body of Christ because there's not that many proud doers. Well, how do you know, Andrew? Because there's not that many people running around with plentiful rewards. And I'm not talking about the ones that they scammed out of you in Jesus' name by selling, you know, pieces of the cross and vials of holy water for 1995. That's not a reward. They're going to get their reward and it'll be plentiful, don't worry, in the end. Go to the next one. Numbers 13 and verse 30, we saw this. That remember when the ten spies were bad and the two spies were good, Joshua and Caleb, and they looked at the land for 40 days and then they came back and they gave the bad report, oh, we can't do it. And now the crowd's getting all upset. And so Caleb jumps up and he says, he stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess the land for God is able to overcome them. Is that what he said? No, he said, we are well able to overcome them. And we saw that this thing here about that you, uh, none of those spies would say that God couldn't do it. They all saw the Red Sea. They all were eating manna every day. Right? They were all getting water out of the rock. None of them would say that God couldn't do it, but they didn't believe that they could do it. Go to the next one. And the men that went up with him said, Behold, we be not able to go up against the people because they're stronger than us. So we saw that here's the next thing on the list is that we need to add to our faith. Go to the next one. Is virtue or valor. And we saw that virtue and valor is boldness. Go to the next one for me, Emma. Boldness and courage. Especially... Right in time of battle. You're fearless, especially in time of battle. When it's crunch time, you want to be able to dominate your fear. Not that you wouldn't have fear, but that you would be able to override it in crisis. This is huge, because when crisis comes, that's what's going to make the difference between winning or losing. In between the battles, not so much. Right? It's kind of like filler time or whatever. Well, what do we do in between the battles? We'll get to that today. We saw that the opposite of virtue or valor was cowardice, being timid, retreating, right? Or you're being subdued or subjected. Go to the next one. We saw this in Joshua 14 and verse 12. Now here's Caleb 45 years after. He said, we can do it. They had a 40-year 40, 40 detour. Then they started getting their inheritance. And five years into these battles, he comes to Joshua and he said, Now therefore, give me this mountain where the Lord spake to me in that day. For you have heard in that day how the Anakins, the giants, were there and that the cities were great and fenced. And if so be that the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them up or drive them out as the Lord said. 
And so we saw that here's with his valor is, is here's the part where God has in the equation. Do I believe and trust that what God said is true? And whatever he said is true, if I believe that, now I have my valor has to kick in and then go, I'm able to do it and then go out there and do it. You can believe that what God said is true all day long, and if you don't kick in with your valor and go do it, you ain't getting it. Because there's a lot of people that believe God will do it, and they believe His Word's true, and then they never get up off the couch, and they never get into the fight, and they never get into the battle, and then they wonder why I don't have riches, honor, and life. Because they're not, they're not getting off the couch and going, you know what, what God said is true, and I'm able, because He said I'm able to go do it, so I'm going to go do it, now give me the mountain. And then, you notice what he said, he's not going in there blind. He said there's giants, and there's cities, and there's defenses, and go to the next one. So what he added to his valor was knowledge. He had knowledge before he got up off the couch and decided, I'm going in to do it. He gathered some information. Go to the next one. And we saw that knowledge, the Greek word is actually science, is information especially gained through observation, identification, description, investigation, experience, and explanation. And I said this a couple weeks in a row. Now, did you notice that all those things were verbs? They're action words. You've got to do some investigating and some observing, right? Okay? So if, if you go in somewhere blind and you get your tail end handed to you, is that God's fault? No, because He's telling you to add knowledge to your valor. That's what He's telling you in Second Peter right now. You better get some knowledge before you get up off the couch and decide I'm going in. Woohoo, gun go. Gung ho. Woohoo, I'm in there. Get some knowledge. Now go to the next one. We saw this in Exodus 36 and verse 1 that when they were building the tabernacle, Moses came down from the, you know, getting the, the, the commandments, and, and they're setting up this new religion, Judaism. And so they've got to build this really cool tabernacle, which is where God's going to um, be with the Ark of the Covenant and all that. Well, you know, these guys are slaves. They don't have like they couldn't go shop around for blueprints, so God gave them to them. But how I many know out in the middle of the desert they made bricks? There's not a whole lot of workmen out there that could pull off all the you know. There's no like go down to the you know the blacksmith or the smelting shop. They couldn't go shopping down at Pier One, or you know, right and get all the really cool knickknacks. So look what happened. It says um, verse one. It says then wrought. So God picked out two guys, Bazalil and Ahilihab, and every wise-hearted man. So they get this crew together to come build all this stuff and, and, and to do all the hard work and the intricate work. And so they called all these two guys and all every wise-hearted man. So it was open to everybody that was wise-hearted, right? Do you see that? It wasn't just like, oh, God only picked a couple. He said it's open to everybody that wants to come do this work. And then what God did is in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how he gave them the knowledge and the wisdom and the skill and the understanding to know how to do all the work all manner of service for the sanctuary according to all the Lord had commanded. Go to the next one. And Moses called Bazalel and Ahilehab, and every wise-hearted man... Now, who are these every wise-hearted man that showed up? It's available to everybody, but who was it? what was the thing that let them in and got all this knowledge that God put in them? What was the thing? What's the, what's the qualifier? It said, in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone, here's the qualifier, whose heart stirred him up to come do the work. So here's the question. If you want to be a wise-hearted person, then your heart needs to stir you up, not just to know how to do the work, but to come do the work. And then the knowledge followed. Did you see that? When your heart stirred you up to do the work, God came and He put His Holy Spirit on the inside of them and He gave them all the information and He gave them the skill to do the work that their heart was stirred them up to do. You all following that? 
If your heart doesn't stir you up, you're not going to get the supernatural infusion of knowledge. You're not going to get the wisdom and understanding. You're going to be out there floundering around. by, And actually, you're not going to do anything because if your heart don't stir you up, you're going to be back on the couch going, well, I believe God. I don't know how come I don't have riches on in life. I, I told all the angels, go get it. You know, I sowed my big seed to that TV ministry. I don't know why I ain't got it. I don't know what's going on. You ain't going to get it sitting on your couch. You ain't going to get it writing a check to some TV minister. You ain't going to get it writing a check to me. Go to the next one. Hosea 4, verse 6 says this. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. How, 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 how are they destroyed? Because God did it to them? Because hell did it to them. No, well, why? They did it to themselves by what? Look at the very next line. Why did you not have knowledge? Because you did what? Rejected knowledge. Listen, the knowledge is available to every person. God will come and put His Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit on top of somebody and give them supernaturally all the things that they need to pull off the work. If your heart don't stir you up, He's not going to do it. By the fact that your heart doesn't stir you up, you reject that gift from God. You reject the knowledge. It's available to everybody. Everybody can have exactly what they need. God will give you the tools to pull off whatever the work is that your heart stirs you up to do. What your heart stirs you up to do. Do you know? All these people weren't walking around thinking, well, what's my destiny? What's God's will for my life? What, did, what is it that your heart stirs you up to do? What are you passionate about? God wired you to do that. I'm getting practical now. You don't have to wonder, what is it that I'm going to... You know what my heart stirs me up to do? It's always been to find out about the Word. I studied the Greek, I studied the Hebrew. Even before I started the ministry, I've been doing it for years. People go, how could I ever get to that point? This has been going on since I was 12. Digging into the Word for myself is what my heart stirred me up to do. If yours is, you know, whatever, rocket science, go do rocket science. If yours is medical science, go do medical science. Whatever your heart stirs you up to do is what God wired you to do. And you know what? He'll show up and supernaturally impart to you what you need to go do what your heart stirs you up to do. But you ain't gonna, if, you're, if you don't get up to go do the work, He's not going to show up. Now you rejected knowledge. Next thing you know, you're destroyed. And we saw over in Isaiah that my people are in captivity or bondage because they lack knowledge. So if you're feeling like you're trapped in life, take inventory. Is, am I doing what I'm passionate to do? Am I do? Does your heart stir you up to go punch the clock and do what you're doing right now? Think about that. It, your heart probably doesn't stir you up to go do what you're doing for somebody else and making them rich. You know how I know? Because you're born again and you're not wired to do that. You're not wired to give riches to somebody else through your diligence. You can give your riches as an abundance because you have them and go give them to somebody, but you don't sell and whore out and that's what we do. Our diligence and our faithfulness and our knowledge and our skills and abilities to somebody else and make them rich. And it's usually going to wicked folk. Get in a spot where you're a free agent and you can get God's blessing directly to you and not through somebody else. Because that guy ain't going to share it with you. I just got to tell you. They're not. You know, I was working for the government. They didn't share extra with me. But the tax man was always there to take his. And if I made any extra, guess what? They took extra. Do you all follow with this? Uh, you know, people, this is very practical. This isn't like, ooh, oh, it's all, this ain't religious. This is real life, real time. How do we have the life of Jesus show up in my body right now here on this planet? Go to the next one. 2 Timothy verse 1 and verse 6 says this. Wherefore, now Timothy is getting a letter from Paul, and Paul is his mentor. 
He said, wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. Now, y'all remember when, when uh, anytime the apostles showed up in town, they'd ask, you know, oh, did you guys receive the Holy Ghost yet? And they oh, we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. They laid their hands on and they received the Holy Ghost. That's what happened with Timothy. That's what he's talking about. You know, you can receive the Holy Ghost and you can receive the anointing of knowledge and wisdom and skill and understanding and then do nothing with it by not stirring yourself up. And whose job is it to stir up and get that gift working again? Yeah, it's your, it's your gift. You stir yourself up to get your gift in work, working. Listen, the anointing and the Holy Spirit, it's not some hokey thing. We saw that the gifts of the Spirit are for all men, to profit everybody. They're not just a work in church. In fact, I don't even, I don't even like to you know, let it go on here. You know why? It's not for here. It's for unbelievers. It's so that we can take the life of God outside these walls and have our Zoe show up wherever we're at. And let other people enjoy our Zoe. Do you think other people enjoy Jesus' Zoe? Didn't they? Peter had to pay his taxes. Jesus, what do we do? Go down there and grab a fish, and he coughs up the taxes in the fish's mouth. I like hanging out with Jesus. Right? I'm sick. But there you are, you're good. I'm blind. There you are, you're good. Did people enjoy the life of Jesus when it was in his body? They should be enjoying the life of Jesus that is in our body. Yet we're always back on the defensive and we're always you know, in that, what Jennings said, that beggarly position where we're at the weak position because we've been taught that we're the weaker. We're not the weaker. We're the stronger. Amen. But as long as we keep ourselves in bondage or captivity and destroyed because we don't have the knowledge and we didn't stir ourselves up to get this gift moving, we're always going to be in that position where we're begging. Y'all following this? Yeah. All right. Enough of that. Go to the next one. Now, Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue or valor, and virtue and valor, knowledge. Add to your knowledge, temperance. And this is the part where everybody goes, oh, I wish I stayed home. (laughs) Go to the next one. Temperance is this. Amen, hallelujah. Self-control, self-discipline. I love this. To rule over or dominate oneself and strong in the mastery of yourself which reminds me of a Seinfeld show that said, the master of your domain. Are you the master of your domain? That's what temperance is. See, that's an easy, it's an easy line that you can remember. Ask yourself in real life, real time, am I mastering my domain? Am I mastering myself? Am I strong in the mastery of my... Do I rule over myself? Because if you don't rule over yourself, somebody else will. Now, I'd rather rule over myself because I like me and know me better than other people. Just getting real. I'd rather rule over me than have somebody else rule over me. That's why your neck gets up when somebody tells you be somewhere at a certain time or do something you don't want to do. Because you're not wired to have somebody else rule over you. You're wired to be a king and a priest. You you all understand that, right? The reason you don't like it when somebody tells you because you're not built to have somebody else rule over you. You're built to rule over yourself. The opposite of this. Now, look, the, the, the root word of temperance is temper. And I, it doesn't mean screaming and yelling temper. It's like temper, like tempered steel. You know where the old swords makers would take that thing and shove steel into the hot and heat it up and then cool it down and then hammer it until it would be stronger. You know what made it stronger was it wasn't brittle, it was elastic. 
it had a little bend to it. It was a little flexible. And every time they did it, it made it stronger. And it made it stronger. And it made it stronger. And it made it sharper. That's what you do when you control yourself and you discipline yourself. You're going to make yourself stronger and sharper and stronger and sharper. Not brittle. I mean, a brittle doesn't mean strong. You're going to have to be flexible to be strong. That's why they build skyscrapers to shift in the wind. Y'all know that? Do you know what they use to do that? Tempered steel. Okay, the opposite of the temperance is this. Careless and inattentive, easily distracted, right? Negligent, slack, apathetic, half-hearted, lukewarm. I said self, but it's really flesh-indulgent. And you're uncontrolled, you can't control yourself, and you're excessive. If you do the extremes, you might want to check on your temperance. Because extreme whatever, not good. I knew guys in the ministry, they'd be, they'd be feast or famine with them, right? They're either going to go on the crash diet and do nothing, and they'll fast for like 100 days or whatever until they're anorexic. And as soon as they get off it, they hit the feast, and then they gorge themselves like gluttons. And then what, your body's doing that back and forth, and their whole life is like that, not just with what they're eating, but finances. Everything that they do is back and forth and back and forth, and you're in the two ditches. Temperance puts you in the middle of the road. Go to the next one. Now, the second half of this thought in Timothy, 2 Timothy verse 1, verse 6 says, Wherefore I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in you by the putting on of my hands. And then he gives us some more information in verse 7. He said, Because God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Now, remember, the gift of God that he put on with his hands was the Holy Ghost, that anointing, so that he could understand and have wisdom and know how to do the work. Y'all follow me? That's what the gift was. He said, You stir it up. And then look, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. That wasn't when I put my hands on you, what was imparted into you was not fear. It was a spirit of power, love, and it says in the King James a sound mind, but in the Greek it says discipline and self-control. Look it up on esword.net or, or strong. See that I'm not lying. You go find out for yourself that the spirit that came into you when you're the gift of God through the laying on of hands, the Holy Ghost comes. It's one of power and of love and self-discipline. Oh, I don't like that too much. Go to the next one. Before we get to there, I want to... Um, if, let's ask this question. If the life of Jesus is to show up on our, in our body right now, should we do what Jesus did to have that life show up in His body? Wouldn't you think that we should follow His example, what He did? Because if, if it worked for Him, if I could just do what He did, I should get the same results that He got, right? Isn't that a reasonable assumption? Okay, come over here to Isaiah 50. Now, I'm going to read this passage down far enough so that we can see that this is talking about Jesus. And then I want to back it up and show us exactly what it is that it's saying about Jesus. Okay? Is that alright? Because I don't want you to just say, oh, Andrew said it's Jesus. We'll read it first and find out that it is Jesus. Start in verse 4 of Isaiah 50. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, 
neither turned way back. Now watch, this is Jesus. So I know, because look, he says, I gave my back to be to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, and I hid not my face from the shame and spitting. Do you all know that that was Jesus? That he, he took stripes on his back, that he was smitten, uh, struck on his face, and that he was spit on. It's over in Matthew 26 and, and Matthew 27, if you want to look it up. Do you all understand? This is a prophecy about Jesus. Now, before we back up, I want you to see that he gave his back to the smiters. Did anybody smite his back without him giving him back? No, he gave him. He said, I gave my back to be smited. I gave my back to have stripes put on it. You know, that's what gets you healed, right? He, gave, he, he didn't have to give him the back. Do you, you understand? He did that so that you could have healing. Don't, don't waste it. Don't not value it. He, he, he gave his back to get stripes and had the flesh torn off so that you could be healed. And no one made him get struck down. He, he did it. Uh, you all see that? Alright, back up to verse 4. He said, The Lord God hath given me, now we're talking about Jesus, the tongue of the learned. Did Jesus have a learned tongue? Do you think his tongue said anything out of school? No, he didn't. I mean, you know, everything that his tongue said, he meant to say. He, nothing went down range to go, oop, I wish I could get that one back. Did you all know that? Everything that he said, he meant to say, right? That I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. See that? If you look in your Bible, it says, him that is, is in italics. You see that? You see those words, him that is, is in italics? In the King James? That means that, that those words aren't there. That means the translator put that in. Because they're trying to figure out what this is talking about. Now back in 1611, you've got to understand, in that time, it was a, they had a religious mindset and they're doing this for the king who just left the Catholic church, right, and, and they had set up their own church, the, the Anglican. You, you understand? That the, so they don't, have the, they don't have necessarily the revelation that we got right now. So they're just trying to figure out, well, what is it this is saying? So they put that in there. If you look in the Hebrew, and go look in your mysword.net so you could see this. It says this, that the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to myself when fatigued. Because, you know what? I really don't care about anybody else. If I'm fatigued, I can't be relying on somebody else to tell me a word. Do you understand? He says, here's the, here's the tongue of the learned, that I would know when to tell myself, get up! See, because what kept Jesus going while he was taking stripes on his back? What kept him going while he was up there? He's telling himself to work. He makes faith confessions. We saw this before, and you can get it online, where he tell, he's telling the thief, I'll see you in paradise. I mean, that's a faith confession. And then see this next line? It says, He wakeneth morning by morning. It, the, if you look it up in the Hebrew, it doesn't say He wakened. It says, I stir myself up morning by morning. See, what Jesus did to get the tongue of the learned to say to himself when he was weary, get up, was that every morning he stirred himself up, morning by morning. This is tempers. This is self-discipline. Because every morning, nobody's going to stir him up. He's the only one that's alive. Does his spirit's alive? So who's he got to rely on? He can't go to church and get stirred up. When he went to church, he stirred stuff up. And then they wanted to kill him. He couldn't go you know, plug into his favorite you know, minister. He couldn't turn on the TV and watch his favorite guy stir him. He, every morning, he had to stir himself up. Every morning. Wouldn't you? If, they knew, if you knew what your mission was, 
was to become sin and sickness for all time and then go into hell and get born again in reverse and have the life of God be stripped from you and you go into hell? Wouldn't you have to stir yourself up morning by morning? I would. We don't even have to do that because He did it so we don't have to. we still got to stir ourselves up. If we want the life that Jesus had, we do what He did. He stirred Himself up morning by morning. Every morning you get up, you stir yourself up. Not, uh, Monday. Right? And whatever you want to put in there. Bleep, blah, bleep, flip, fly, you know. What Bill Cosby says about Eddie Murphy? Florin, filth, filth, Florin, Florin, filth. That's all that comes out. Right? Whatever you're going to say after the alarm goes off, stir yourself up every morning. No, 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 no. Today's the day I'm getting riches, honor, and life. Then look at it says. He says, He wakeneth, that's the exact same thing. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. No, he said, I stir up my own ear to hear as the learned. I mean, Jesus, morning by morning, had to stir up his own ear to hear from God. Do you know that Jesus said that I do nothing that the Father doesn't tell me to do? You remember, we've seen those scriptures before too. He said, I do nothing of myself. So if you want to walk on water, how did Jesus walk on water? Because every morning he stirred himself up to hear from God and get rhema and just do that. You know, if I'm, then we go, well, I don't know why it works. Well, how much stirring have you been doing morning by morning? Now, come down to verse 7, because after he gets his cheek smitten and his back you know, beat on and his face spit on, he says this, He's in the middle of that, but he's been stirring himself up every day, morning by morning. And he knows how to talk to himself when he's weary. And this is what he says, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Listen, if you're in a spot where you're like, I don't know why this ain't working, just probably go back to, you're not stirring yourself up, you're not stirred your ear up, and you're not talking to yourself when you're weary. I don't know why this ain't working. I do. Look, I gotta do it. I do it with me. I ain't pointing any fingers. I'll be like, "Man, God, why ain't this working?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, I've been kind of, you know, not doing what I should be doing." Right? We get lazy. We we don't stick with temperance. We don't stick with self-discipline. We don't stir ourselves up. Be like, "Yeah, I'm sleeping in tomorrow," and then tomorrow turns into the next day, and three days later, right? What happened? I forgot all about. I was saying the Ephesians prayer every morning. I forgot I was stirring myself up in the morning. Right? I forgot I was talking to my body, telling it what I wanted. I forgot. He said, now, I will not be confounded. Therefore, have I set my face like flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed, and it says in the Hebrew, delayed or disappointed. So if you're feeling disappointed or you're feeling delayed, have you set your face like flint? Like, I ain't backing off this. You see how each one of these things builds on the next one? Because valor was, I don't retreat. I ain't backing down off this. I set my face like flint. Now, how many know, in order to keep your valor from cutting and running in the time of battle, I need temperance. I need self-discipline. I need to keep myself in the fight. Y'all found that's what that's what the self-discipline, that's what that's what this temperance business is about, because no one else is going to make you stay in the fight. No, nobody's going to make you stay in the fight. You can disengage at any time. Can't you? Yeah. So look. There's a, a lot to think about getting these nine things going, isn't there? There's a lot to think about to have the life that Jesus had show up in my body. So now we're back to diligence and faithfulness. 
what am I going to justify to myself? Diligence, what am I going to be faithful in? What am I going to spend my time in to find out? If you're not thinking about these things on, this, on these lines and you're not taking the time to stir yourself up, if you're not taking the time to make sure that you're doing these nine things, it's not about a checklist, it's what do you want in life? Do you want riches, honor, and life or do you just want to wait till you get to heaven? Because you can just wait till you get to heaven, but you'll never have the life of Jesus. You're in the might not category. I want the life of Jesus to show up in my body right now while I'm on earth. I, I, look, I, I want to be able to have blind eyes open because I put my hands on them. I want dead people, you know, if some little... I'm, yeah, I don't want, you know what tears me up is little, like little kids' funerals? Wouldn't you love to just walk in there like Jesus did? A funeral came by him and a young man was dead and he just reached in and grabbed his hand. Opened up the coffin, grabbed his hand, the guy stood up, the kid woke up and went back to his mama. Wouldn't you... Instead of, oh, God wanted another angel in heaven. No, he didn't. Here, poof, he's back. Have a nice day. I I long for that. So if we do, and that's what stirs your heart, then let's do these nine things and find out how do we cooperate with heaven to do that. Listen, after that, you know, all the mourning around here for those college kids in that fire, wouldn't it be great to go in there and just raise them from the dead and here's your kid back, mama and daddy? Would Jesus do that? Did he do that? Uh huh. Well, that's crazy stuff, Andrew. Right? It is. And that's what when we are called, uh, we're called Christians, right? Little Christ or little Messiahs. Are we doing what little Messiahs should be doing? The works that Jesus did and greater ones? I'm not yet now. I'll tell you why. Because I just don't have the boldness to do it. I just don't have the boldness to walk in. And what if it doesn't work, God? I tell you, I'm big up here talking about Forrest Gump, but if a rubber meets the road, I ain't so big. <laughs> Amen, Andrew. I know that's right. All right. So look, let's work on these nine things, right? Now we're all the way up to what? I don't know, four or five, right? So let's work on self-discipline and stirring ourselves up morning by morning to hear so that I could set my face like Flint and do it. Look over here in 1 Corinthians 9. Now, I've got this in uh, chapter uh, 9 and verse 24. I put it up there in the Amplified because I don't want to take the time to untangle the King James. Okay, I could, but I just don't have the time. It says this in verse 24. Paul's talking. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? <laughs> yeah, Paul, we know that. Duh. Right? I mean, do we know that? Well, we know that. Okay. So, run your race that you may lay hold of the prize and make it yours. Okay, go to the next one. How do I do that, Paul? Now, every athlete that goes into training conducts himself temperately and restricts himself in all things. Do you know that uh, Olympic athletes, no matter what, the event is they have a training regimen that they follow. They have a diet that they follow. They have a sleep schedule that they follow. They have a workout schedule that they follow. Right? Don't they? He says that's what every athlete does. He's telling you how to run your race so that you'd win the prize. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither. But we do it to receive a crown of eternal or perpetual blessedness that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run uncertainly and without definite aim. See, this is the problem that most people in the body of Christ, they are running uncertainly and without any kind of aim. We're just flailing about, 
We don't know what our destiny is. We don't know what God's will is for our life. We don't know what, our, what God's plan is for us. I always hear people talking about the plan, but how come you never tell me how do I... Fi- Listen, what does your heart stir you up to do? That's the plan. It's that easy. You don't have to have angels go, whoa, and you know, fireworks and right, all that. God wired you with a certain passion on the inside of you, and that's what the plan is. He wouldn't put a desire in you. He says, I wouldn't put a desire in you, and then never let you attain it. That's not his character. Do you understand that? He put the desire to do whatever's on the end, whatever makes you, whatever flips your happy switch, he wired you to go do that. So what is your plan now? What If you're just flipping, flapping in the wind and you know what your passion is and you're still doing nothing to get to it, you're running without aim. You're not going to get the prize. Just reading the Bible. He said, so I do not box like one beating the air and striking without an adversary. You know what he's saying? What? That I have a sparring partner and sometimes I get my butt kicked when I'm training. What's the... uh, Don't let me say it wrong. UFC, right? Okay. I said the United Children's Fund last time. So the UFC... the (laughs) I said the UCF. Jennings is like, no, that's some charity. That's not the, the octagon or whatever. Okay, so ultimate fighting child, right? Do you know when those guys train, have you ever seen that? I've seen like one or two episodes on Spike, right, where they're training. You know, when they're training to go in the ring, they take some hits, don't they? When you're training, it isn't like, oh, yeah, have another pina colada and, you know, flicking the remote. You see, you want to win, you better get a good sparring partner. Somebody that ain't afraid to give you a good one when he lets his guard down. And then go, hey, don't do that. Well, was, did you ever see that? There was a movie where Tim Allen was getting beat up at work, so he went and got karate lessons from um, Jim Belushi. I don't know the name of the movie. But Jim Belushi walks in and just hits him in the groin. Boom! With his knee. Ah! Right? And as the movie goes on, he comes into training, and he does it again when he's not looking. Oh, I can't believe by the time the end of the movie is, he blocks the knee kick to the groin. He finally learned his lesson. Hey, you know what? When I get around this guy, I'm going to get a shot to the groin. Right? Isn't that kind of what will happen? Okay. This is what you do with your training partner. If he gets you a good one in, you better learn to get your guard back up. Now we're talking about, right, you attaining riches, honor, and life. You doing these nine things. You stirring yourself up every morning. So look, he's not telling you to do it by yourself. Temperance is self-control. But you know what? How many know you need help getting to self-control and self-discipline? Isn't it easier with a partner helping you out? Hey, what? When I go, yeah, if I say something that doesn't line up with a covenant, Kimmy is quick to say, should I agree with that? (laughs) Kids, let's come hold hands and agree with what Daddy just said. We ain't going to make it. No, 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 that's okay, we're good, right? (laughs) Sparring partner. I mean, a couple of those shots in front of the kids, and I stop saying, I'll be like, oh! Now self-discipline. Yeah, y'all found this. This is what he's saying. Get yourself a partner that isn't afraid to strike you. Go to the next one. Verse 27, he said, But like a boxer, I buffet my body and I handle it roughly. I discipline it by hardships and subdue it. That means you dominate it. For fear that after proclaiming to others the gospel and things pertaining to it, which is riches, honor, and life, that's the things that pertain to the gospel, that I should myself become unfit and not stand the test. That means when I get into battle, I get my butt kicked and be unapproved and rejected as a counterfeit. He said, listen, 
I train extra hard. Look, if the fight's going to be bad, I'm going to train twice as hard as the fight is. Because I'm afraid, here's Paul, if you're afraid of something, be afraid of losing your fight. And being shown forth as a counterfeit. Because now, I'm not going to. I, man, you know what? I'll get up every morning. I'll run the training schedule. I mean, do what you've got to do and get you a training partner that will keep you on it if you're not going. And as soon as you veer off, I want somebody to smack me. You do? Yeah, because in training, listen, as a cop and when I was in the Marine Corps, we always craved training because I knew that what I did in training, I would do in the fight or I would do in battle. You know, as I was in Spartanburg County, we had Sig Sauer um, uh, 9 mils. That's a sweet gun, a Sig Sauer. It's very smooth. But it's a double action, which means the hammer has to go is from forward and it goes all the way back and then back forward on the first round. It's like seven pounds of pressure. So you've got to really pull hard to get the first one out. You know, sometimes you jerk it when you're pulling hard. So what I would do in training on the range was I would cock the hammer coming out of the holster. Now it's only one pound. I mean, you could sneeze and the gun would go off. But I mean, now the first round is going to be true. And I knew I'd be on target every time with one pound of pressure, not seven. So I would train pulling the hammer down. Well, they get flipped out because, I mean, you know, in real life, well, I'm, my hammer's coming out. Well, you know, the, the reason that they have the double hammer, the, the seven pounds, is so you don't accidentally shoot somebody when you're coming out the holster. Boom! Oh, sorry. Oh, wow, didn't mean to Barney Fife you on that, right? I mean, no, because I disciplined myself to know that I wouldn't do that, but I would still have the advantage against the bad guy coming out of the holster with the hammer cocked. I still, even when we went to, I went to Capitol Police and we had a Glock that doesn't have a hammer, my thumb would sweep the back of the gun and pull the hammer back. That's not even there. Why? Because I've trained myself to do it. It's muscle memory. I'm automatically going to do it. You know, that's just my flesh. It's easy. I dominated my flesh without really even knowing that I was doing it. You could do the same thing. Saying the Ephesians prayer. Speaking to your body. Stirring yourself up when you're tired. Get up! You know, you can, that's your flesh. You could dominate your flesh to get it into a habit so that it'll still do it even when it doesn't know it should be doing it. You ever drive, your home, uh, drive home from work and not remember going which way and you're on autopilot? You ever be talking in the car and you end up going like home from work and you're supposed to go to the store? Well, I'm supposed to... Well, how'd I get it? Huh? Yeah. That's your flesh on autopilot. So look, I, it, you're, you're doing it already. Just point it in the right direction so that when you're tired, it's telling you, get up! And so that you're always listening. Ears, listen. What's God telling me right now? Stir you up the gift that's on the inside of you. So this, this, is, this, this is practical. And get you somebody that when you get out of line will whack you. I, I mean, a hard one. Be like, I didn't like that. I don't like it when my wife tells me, yeah, all right, good, yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I don't like that. But you know what I like? That we didn't bring evil in the house because she said, shut your mouth. My flesh didn't like, you know, I don't like it when, when somebody tells me I'm wrong. But what I do like is that if they do it and they correct me, then I don't have to have the result of it. I don't need the consequences. If you shut it off before I get to the consequences, good, I'm golden. Right? Yeah, I'll follow that. Now, i got a couple minutes left, so come over here to Hebrews 12. Now, this, this, this is a uh, passage. We'll start in verse 5. That my daddy would quote to me as his belt was coming off his waist and he was bringing it back around to uh, correct my tail end. And then he quote Hebrews 12, chapter 5 to about verse 11. 
right? Yeah, the whole chapter. He quoted to me. So, uh, um, it doesn't exactly mean that, okay? <laughs> so, uh, we're going to look at this real quick and I'll show you what it means. It says, and you, verse 5, having forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as children, my son, despise not, now remember what despise is, is that you disrespect it, you don't pay attention to it. He said, don't, don't not pay attention, don't despise the chastening, and the Greek word for chastening is training. The training of the Lord. Now, my dad chastening was I was getting a whipping, right? But that's not what the Greek word says. It's, the Greek word is training. He said, so do not, not pay attention. I know that's two, that's two negatives, but he says, don't despise or don't not pay attention to or pay attention to the training of the Lord. Did you all catch that? He said, and don't faint when you are rebuked of him. So listen, don't back off something. If he rebukes you, and listen, he rebukes me a lot, right? I mean, he'll tell me. And so I don't back off it because what he's doing when he tells me something, he's spurring me on or making a course correction to get me back on track. So I don't go, oh, I can't do this anymore. I like it when he tells me that because now I know, okay, that's where I missed it. That's what he's telling you. Okay, now verse 6. He said, for whom the Lord loves, he trains and scourges or gives a spanking to every son whom he receives. Now, people will take this out and be like, that's why God's putting sickness on you to teach you something. That's why you were in that car wreck because God's trying to teach you something. Really? He's got this father-son thing going here. Then he? He's talking like child as a son. You know, when my dad spanked me, it only even when the belt was coming out, the most it lasted, the pain, the stinger, lasted about a minute. And if it was really good one, maybe two. Even though he said, you're not going to sit down for a week, that wasn't true. <laughs> right? Okay, so... A spanking only lasts, the pain of it really only lasts about 30 seconds. It's just like, oh, I shouldn't do, you know, psh, ow. It's, it my dad never struck me down with sickness while he was trying to teach me something. Don't lie. I break your arm. He never did that. Okay, so that's not what God, when God trains you, it'll be a short, quick, wow. And you might get them while you're in here. Do you ever feel like you get them while you're sitting in here? That's a scourging, right? You'd be like, whoa. Jenny's telling me all the time, oh, I got beat up this morning. You know, I didn't touch him, right? Because it ain't me. Do y'all, I mean, you all can tell when it's me and when it's God, right? Yeah. When it's me, you'd just be mad at me. When you know it's God, you'd be like, wow, yeah, I need to change that. Or why am I getting upset at this, God? Right? I'm not just being a jerk. That's a scourging from the Lord. That's how he teaches us. With uh, And he'll tell you, and you'll feel it, and it'll sting for a couple seconds. I mean, you could despise that and then just keep doing what you were doing and not make the course correction. And then, you know what, after a while he'll stop doing it and just let you destroy yourself? And they go, God, how come he'd let that happen? No, no, he tried to stop you a couple times. Okay, so let's get back here. He says, if you endure in verse 7 the training that God deals with you as sons, for what is a son is him whom the father trains not. Is there? Listen, there's no fathers that don't want to set up their kids for success, is there? Not a, if, they look, if they receive him as a son, because he's going to deal with something else here in a minute, because I know we're thinking the dead, deadbeat dads. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But a father who receives a son, he says, that's my boy, they never set them up for failure. They always want them to do better, their child to do better in life than they do. We're wired that way. If you accept that child as yours, you always do what you can do to make them better. Is that not true? All right, that's what God says. He says, if he accepts you as a son, he says he's going to train you. He said, but be, if you be without training, 
Wherefore, you all are partakers, you all are, do have training. He said, then your bastards are illegitimate children and not sons. He said, if God isn't training you, so this is what a deadbeat dad will do. If it's an illegitimate son, if they do not accept the son or they accept the daughter, they go, that ain't my kid. They won't ever pay for him. They won't make their life better. They won't set him up for success. They'll ignore him. He said, that ain't how God is, so stand by. If you're born again and you're a child of God, He's going to train you and set you up for success. He's not going to beat you down. What He's going to do is provide training so that you'll succeed in life, just like you would do with your own kids. If you're not getting training, you ain't born again. If you come in here and you never get any stingers, you might want to check and see if you really are, if your spirit's alive to God or not. Because I don't know how you could sit in here and not get stingers. I get them all the time. Verse 8, he said, But if you be without training, he said, then you are partake, which you are partakers, then your sons are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected or instructed us, and we gave them reverence. Well, you see, look, when my daddy, after about the second time that the belt came out and he was quoting us, then I, I was like, I had reverence for my dad, and almost we could call it the fear of the Lord, the fear of my father. It was a healthy fear. See, the problem with the body of Christ is today that we don't really have a healthy fear of God because everything's grace and oh, wonderful and pixie dust and flowers and we don't have to do nothing. Right, you don't have to do nothing to get the gift. But if you want it to produce something in your life, there's a whole lot of something you've got to do. Cause if, or you could have the gift and never do nothing with it. Just have the car parked in your drive. He said, so let's have a healthy fear that you know I really don't want God getting ticked at me. Not only that, I really don't want God being disappointed in me. Just like I don't want my dad to be disappointed in me. I want my dad to be proud of me. Think of, don't, you, don't you want your parents to be proud of you? Go, man, they did good in life. I, man, you, you, that's what I want from God. I don't want to disappoint him. He said, you do that with your fathers. How much more, he said, how much more should we do that? He said, and should we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? That's Zoe. For verily, for they verily, our, our natural fathers, for a few days trained us after their own pleasure. You know, like I was the remote control when, I, when we were a kid because we didn't have it, so I was it. My dad trained me after his own pleasure. Go turn it up. Go turn it down. Put it on channel, whatever. You know, ABC, CBS, NBC. And we only had three channels in the, you know. He was training me after his own pleasure. Right? right? Okay. He said, but he, God, is training us for what? Our what? Our profit. Not his pleasure. He's training us so that we'd make profit, so that we would succeed in life and that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now, no training for the present time seems to be joyous. Right. But grievous. Uh-huh. He said, nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. What, and righteousness is what? Equity. What is the fruit of equity? Riches, honor, and life. So it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are what? What's that word? Them which are what? Exercised thereby. Exercised. You get riches on in life when you are exercised by the training of the Lord. Now look, when you come here on Sundays, He'll give you the training. We get the training plan pretty, pretty clear around here. What you do between Sunday and next Sunday, that, that, that's where temperance comes in. Because I can't, you know, we get the training plan here, and it's the same with me. Tomorrow morning, I gotta stir my, we're back to, I've got to stir myself up. Tomorrow morning we're back to, I've got to speak to myself when I'm weary. Tomorrow morning we're back to, you yourself have to do your own training plan. Do you remember in Acts 24, 16, and we'll close with this, from the, uh, 
conscience series? You'll remember it as soon as we get there. We said it for week after week after week after week. Acts 24 and verse 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and man. Do you remember that? Herein do I exercise myself. Remember I said this, that spouses can't exercise each other's consciences, right? You can't. But you can get a training partner to help you. So that when it's crunch time and it's battle time, that you'll not be unapproved, you'll not be rejected as a counterfeit, that you'll pass the test. Not only that, you'll win the battle because you got yourself a training partner and then you went ahead and exercised. Now, how many know Kimmy could tell me, do you want me to agree with that? And I could not exercise my conscience and then be a jerk back to her instead of going, oh, no, you're right, baby. Did you understand that? With your training partner, it still comes down to you. What are you going to do you know, you could get mad that you gave me that hard lick in training and I could get mad, well, I ain't going to be your partner anymore. Okay, then die in battle. See, it's all up to us. The whole deal is on us. God gave us this life. It's up to us what we do with it. I want it to produce. I want to be in the might, have the life of Jesus in my body. I don't want to be in the might, not anymore. I'm tired of being powerless. He didn't give me a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-discipline. I, when I walk into a room and there's adversity in that room and there's affliction and there's grief, I want to be able to do something about it other than go, oh, that's a shame, baby. I want to walk in and bring that life of Jesus into that room. And if I'm walking into a place where people don't have any, they have no food and they have no clothes and they're living in a junky house, I want to be able to go, hey, here's a brand new house. Here's some clothes and here's some food. I don't want to have to pray that Extreme Home Makeover will pick them. And oh, hope somebody will get to them. No, the body of Christ should be doing it. We should come in and bring life. Not waiting for Sears and ABC to do it. Stand your feet with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. Fathers, we endeavor to exercise ourselves this week, to stir ourselves up morning by morning. Holy Spirit, come alongside us and put it in our remembrance that we should stir ourselves up put in our remembrance that we know how to speak to ourselves when we're weary and we're fatigued. That we set our face like flint and we will not be delayed. We will not be disappointed. We won't be confounded or confused. That we know that you show up and you'll help us. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.